This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston. And today we are listening to a Swedish death metalers Entombed's genre-busting 1993 album Wolverine Blues. Yes, we are. I'm excited to talk about this because I had no previous Entombed knowledge coming into this listen. Well, that's that's funny because neither did I before. Oh, really? Before, no, 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 before I heard this album. Oh, okay. Uh, before I sort of discovered this album in 1993, it was their third album, but I had never, I don't think I'd ever even heard of Intuned before I uh, got this album. So, uh, but we'll get into that later. Yes, that's going to be an interesting parallel, perhaps. Um, but let's start off, first of all, with a bit of follow up and the usual business that we do. Uh, first of all, new patrons since the last episode. Now, it's been since our last, what you might call full episode, obviously last month we had the um, Backstage Pass episode with uh, Justin Stanton, wasn't it? Yep, uh, which, it was Justin. Which was uh, brilliant. I think we all had a good time recording that episode. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and then obviously, but that was a month in turn after <laughs> our last... The Overkill episode, episode yeah. The Overkill one, right, exactly. So in that time, we've actually had quite a few new patrons, uh, which is lovely. So they are... Uh, Art Le Riviere, Chris Piven, Michael Natoli, Stuart Andrews, Mike McKinney, Jeff Donaldson, Benjamin Griffel, and somebody calling themselves Cardboard Kenny. That's Cardboard with a K. Very good. So you did there. Uh, welcome all. Thank you all for supporting the show. Uh, that is, I know, that's awesome. Man. That is some probably of the numbers... longest list I think I've ever had to read out in that section. <laughs> and some of those members, too, I already recognize from them posting in the Facebook oh, yes, group. So yes. it's good to see that they are also active in the community. And if you have Facebook and you haven't jumped in the community yet, please do so because we're about to, uh, I'll dive into some feedback in a minute, but it is a very, very active community. And I just want to say thank you to the community in general who always keeps the conversation going. This has been a very travel heavy month for me, which is why we haven't recorded to this point. And I know you've had some stuff going on as well, Anthony, but it's always great to, even when I'm on the road, like check in to the Facebook group and there are all of these amazing conversations going on. I love that people are discovering episodes for the first time and they're bringing them back up and commenting on something that we talked about two years ago. Like I love the liveliness and the continued discussion that's going on in that group. Absolutely. And as we've said before, also that it's just so good natured, you know, that uh, totally. it's, we, we never, not that we ever would step back from the Facebook group, but it's almost like we don't have to be there to kind of, you know, maintain order, <laughs> uh, which is It is. It's self-moderating, yeah. which is incredible in this day and age because, it really it, I mean, <laughs> it, it is like anytime. And, and it, it's funny you mention that because to me, that is one of the most exciting and rewarding things about starting a new podcast is when you start to build that community mm -hmm. and it gets to a place where it is this sort of shelter from the chaos that's happening around every other corner of the internet where people can come in and just talk about something that they love and share information and be in a group of people who appreciate, you know, music in the way that they do. It's been really, really great to see that. It really has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so also following on from the last episode and yeah, just to sort of, uh, actually just to emphasize what you said there about, you know, it being a, a heavy month for both of us, really, this is the irony. I think you and I probably both were, we could have easily recorded this episode the week after the la after the backstage pass. It's just right. that, unfortunately, this is literally the first weekend where we've both been at home and able to record since we did that episode. Uh, you know, since then, every weekend, either you've been traveling or I've been traveling, and it just hasn't worked out, unfortunately. 
But yeah, I, I was in California for almost three weeks, and I just got home at like 12, you know, just after midnight on Thursday night. Right, and I've been away at uh, various festivals and things. I was, I did a BBC show last week, and, you know, it's all, uh, yeah, you know, we've just been kind of all over the place. It's all good, you know, first world problems, but... Uh, yeah, absolutely, and more time to listen to the album, which is was great because traveling and especially, like, being in a hotel for a little while and actually having time at night to just throw my headphones on and listen to stuff, like, it has been... This episode, I think, is better for having that extra time. Right. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned headphones because I was going to say, I know you were with your family for at least one of those weeks, and I was wondering if you subjected them <laughs> to this album. <laughs> well, I subject them to a lot when it comes to music, but my, yeah, no, it was the four of us were sharing a hotel room. And so it was. Uh, you wanted to be alive is, in the morning. <laughs> my wife is essentially like Clark Griswold in European Vacation, where she has every second of our itinerary plan uh, when right, we right. go on a vacation. So we took the kids to, um, because the office for where I work is in California, we took the kids out to California for the first time, and she had many, many things she wanted to accomplish. So by the time we got home at night, after going on all of these adventures, everybody was just completely exhausted <laughs> and basically passed out. <laughs> and then the wor- and then the next week for me, work was a lot of uh, a lot of heavy lifting in what I had to do sort of creatively for work. And so it was kind of like a mental vacation after being out there for two weeks yeah. where I got to just kind of really dive into this album. And I listened to it again this morning as I walked the dog before we are sitting down to record. So, uh, so yeah, all that extra time was helpful. Fantastic. All right. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, and a couple of other things about the previous album episode that we did. Uh, we mentioned... The because the last uh, was it the last track on the album is the cover of Emerald or one of the tracks anyway, uh, and I mentioned uh, it was the last track on the Overkill album. Yep, was right. the cover of Emerald, and I mentioned the Thin Lizzy cover of Emerald, uh, which is uh, sorry the Thin Lizzy original. Sorry, I should say sure. Um, uh, and I got picked up on by um, uh, uh, Greg Anderson on the Facebook group because I said in that episode that it was a Gary Moore guitar solo, when actually Gary Moore wasn't in the band when they recorded that album. Uh, he'd been in the band and then he left and then he didn't come back until later. So it was actually uh, that album's guitarists were Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson, who, even more confusing for UK listeners, is not B.A. Robertson, even though they are both Scottish guitarists who were born in the same year. <laughs> really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and since we're talking about the uh, the feedback on that particular episode well, hang on. there. One other thing before uh, we get into that, and that is just to clear up uh, for people who might have been confused, the Thin Lizzy album in question is called Jailbreak. Not breakout, like I kept saying. I couldn't remember for the life of me, and I kept for. So, I knew it was break something, and I kept saying breakout. But it's that if you've been looking for it and going, where the hell is this album? It's actually called Jailbreak. Sorry, everyone. One of the things that I love about you is that that will you will make sure to come back and correct that stuff for people after we say that. There must be five things in episode that I say that people are like, no, that's not right. <laughs> what, what this this guy's not. And it's just in and out of my head as soon as it goes through the conversation. But uh, there was some great conversation around the Overkill episode. Although, you, you guys and your vocals, man, <laughs> we're going to have to have a long discussion about this someday. And I'll get to that point in a second. But in general, I would say that the tone of a lot of the feedback for the Overkill episode was in the vein of, hey, man, really like the musical side of this band, the vocals were a real barrier for me to getting in. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of comparisons we, between Bobby Blitz I was gonna say, and Steve also, Souza right, of Exodus. Yeah, has exactly the same thing with the Exodus episode, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but mm, 
I'm going to have to call bullshit on some of that stuff because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, like a perfect example is the band that we're listening to today. We have listened to so many growly cookie monster, you know, straining your vocal cords and just yelling into the sky vocals throughout all of these episodes that it always makes me laugh when um, th- that stuff everybody seems to be on board with. But if, if it's a little bit higher in register, it just completely throws people off, like to the point where they just can't even focus on the music. Right. And so I, I always find that very, very interesting that, you know, when we go up a couple of octaves, it's, oh, I can't stay. Oh, these, these, oh, the vocals are just so. Yeah. But if someone literally is mumbling through as long as they're growling, it's like, this is so metal. So I think there's a larger conversation to have there at some point. But yes, that was the general tenor of much of the feedback on Overkill. However, there were some diehard, uh, Overkill fans in here, Sam Walters said, Overkill are probably my favorite thrash band, and he said this might sound funny, contemporary thrash band, as they're still vital, or more accurately, revitalized themselves in 2010 with Ironbound. So that's an album where, if people want to hear a little bit more from Overkill, you can go back to Ironbound, which is sort of the the newer era of uh, Overkill, and sort of start from there and work your way up. And he said, also, Overkill to me have the most overt punk influence of any thrash band that did not start out as a punk band. He said, I love a good sing-along chorus. And I think that's a really, I don't think I touched on that at all, but I do also feel like Overkill has, they they just feel a little bit different to me than all of the other bands that they get lumped in with in sort of the thrash genre. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think, I'm not sure if I did say it during the episode, but, the, the, you know, there are some clear Motorhead influences that you can see. A Motorhead, obviously, you know, a kind of the ultimate metal punk uh, you know, crossover band, really. It's really hard to say which one of them they were. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, I don't know every other band well enough to say that they're the most punk-influenced thrash band, but they're certainly up there, I would say. Yeah, I, I can see that that is a big influence on them. To me, they just feel really e- like East Coast. Like, that. there's just something about Overkill and Anthrax that feels very East Coast to me, and uh, and I absolutely love them. And if you are an Overkill fan or you wanted to hear more of their stuff, maybe even some of their early stuff. They just released a double live album called Live in Overhausen. And what it is was it was a series of shows where they played their uh, first album, Feel the Fire, and then they played, I think it was 1991's Horror Scope, which many people would say is their best album. They did, uh, they played them completely through. And so if you pick up this double live album, you get both of those albums played through in their entirety on this live album and the production is really good they sound fantastic live and if you want to feel a little bit of what they what they come across as live if you've never seen them fantastic it's it's i don't really go in for live albums a lot i can count like on one hand the the number of standout live albums that i have in my collection this one i listened to the entire way out to california and it was fantastic there were a few people in the feedback thread actually who thought that maybe you'd kind of done the band a bit of a disservice by choosing the album you did and they yes. didn't think it was I'm glad the best. you said that. Yeah. Who was it that started that? Um I forget. Oh, here it is. Kenneth, thank you for mentioning that. So Kenneth said, haven't had time to listen to the podcast properly yet, but I think this was the wrong place to start people with overkill. The years of decay is is the way forward for anyone looking for any other albums of theirs. It's where I recommend that they start. It has the punk thrash uh, of I hate. And so I would say, again, 
Oh, and he, he linked to I Hate here, so you can listen to it there. So he thought people should start with The Years of Decay. I think that, to me, the only thing that's really super different about early Overkill is just like it it's just the production for me. Like I see a lot of the same DNA in what they're doing now with what they're doing back then. But I do feel like if people struggled with this newer album, then you can certainly dive back earlier in their catalog. If you don't like Blitz's vocals, there's not a point where you're going to jump right. in where you'll be like, Oh yeah, these are completely, <laughs> these sound absolutely wonderful yeah, to that me ain't right gonna now. Help. <laughs> but, but there's definitely a lot to dig into in their catalog. And on every album, whether you take them as a whole or not, there are some amazing crushing songs and their catalog is so big now that you can absolutely find something that you like in there. And they are currently, if I'm not mistaken, working on their next album, which I would anticipate would be coming out in 2019. So they, they never stop. They're either touring or they're putting out albums. That is what overkill does. That is one of the things that I love about them is they just are always moving ahead. Again, much like Motorhead. You yeah, know, while absolutely. Lemmy was alive, yeah. they were um, pretty much right up until his deathbed, for heaven's sake. You know, they were making albums, making music. I mean, yeah. I mean, they just released a double live album. Like, they're just, it's just like, okay, well, what's next? What are we doing next? And they keep going on. So, um, but some great discussion about that. And as we mentioned, and Kenneth linked a few of them there, and other people jumped in with links to some of their favorite Overkill stuff as well. Go in there if you want to maybe dig into some other pieces of Overkill and see some of that discussion. And then, of course, we had great discussion on the Backstage Pass episode that we did with Justin, and that was all very, very positive. People were kind of putting their favorite Iron Maiden albums in there. A lot of people were fans of Somewhere in Time, which was interesting to me, because I always felt like it was one of those that... A little overlooked. Was a, it was a very divisive album. It was definitely, I thought, overlooked, but there was some great response to that. And people seem to really like the flow of the Backstage Pass episodes, which is all... All credit goes to you, Anthony, because you are very focused with those episodes where as <laughs> I, I want to dive in. Like, it's funny because we, when we recorded it, I had notes on every song like I, like we do for this particular one. And the conversation was much more about, you know, how people came to metal and why this album and stuff like that, which is what I think it should be. So yeah. I'm glad that they have a different feel and I'm glad that that's coming across when people are listening to it. And that seems to be something that people are really positively responding to so if you are digging the backstage pass episodes continue to let us know you know how those are coming across because i think the response is what we hoped that it would be when we started doing these i agree yeah 100 percent uh yeah the, the and that was a great feedback thread on that episode uh the only thing i shook my head at was all those people coming out of the woodwork to say that loneliness of the long distance runner is their favorite track on the album. And I'm just, what is wrong with you people? Yeah. You're just <laughs> continually shaking your head at that. Like what, <laughs> what are you people thinking? Are you serious? Uh, Come on. <laughs> I did get a shout out for my star frontiers reference, which I really appreciate. Mike Squire said, Holy damn it. Star frontiers. He said, were you me? Great reference on another great show. Yeah, man. Star frontiers. So good. That actually made me want to start digging back into star frontiers and, I think I mentioned on there, uh, I said, someday I'll have to get my Spelljammer campaign up and running. I do actually have the ah, Spelljammer Spell box man. sets here at, well t- at home, too. You know what? The, it, it, quick digression. There was a six-novel uh, series that spun out of Spelljammer that was sort of a companion to it. And one of them, and the only reason I knew that is because one of the books, they visit the Dragonlance world, which was my favorite oh, right, yeah. D&D world of all stuff. But yes, yeah, Spelljammer to me was one of the coolest Spelljammer and Star Frontiers, both very, very cool. Man, hey, um, while we're to, while we're on a nostalgia kick, this is a, a you know a bit of le- bit left field, but I'm just going to quickly say, by the way, if anybody out there 
is, you know, into your manga and anime and all that sort of thing, uh, and not watching the new, the rebooted Voltron on Netflix, rectify that. It is, it has rapidly become one of my favorite shows on TV. And I didn't watch the original Voltron at all. I came to this completely fresh, but I absolutely love this reboot. It feels for people our age, it feels like how it felt to watch the Saturday morning cartoons when we were kids. And it's not. If you actually go back and watch those cartoons now, they're terrible. You know, the quality is awful. Uh, they drag. The stories are dreadful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what this is, is it feels like that, even though it's made with modern sensibilities. It's by the same guys who did Avatar The Last Bender, uh, Airbender and uh, Legend of Korra. Uh, it's, yep. it's, I highly recommend it. Nothing to do with metal, I know, but I highly no, recommend no, I, it. it. It's really good. I'm glad you said that because I was probably about three episodes into the first season of that and I got pulled away from it for whatever reason and I just never went back to it. But hearing that, I oh, will yeah. go back and, yeah, and they, dive back into it. They just dropped like episode, uh, series seven, I think, uh, at the weekend. I know, right? It's, I yeah. just saw an article about that. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, because each each uh, season is only either six or 13, depending uh, episodes long so it's not like a huge commitment or anything but in my head like season one was last year right, so when the, yeah. they said season i was like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah but that's great it's, that it, it thoroughly it's found a big it, audience yeah, yeah. anyway awesome. uh and the last thing then before we get on to the album is uh and this feels already so long ago but it was bet- it was after the last album episode that we did and that is vinnie paul sadly died on the 22nd Holy of june cow. yeah that it was has been a long time six weeks ago um, and obviously that's a really, really sad day for metal. I mean, it was, you know, losing Dimebag was bad enough, but to lose Vinny as I well, know. so relatively young, uh, I'm not sure. I certainly at the time there was no, the, the official statement was that they, you know, they weren't making any sort of statement on the circumstances of his death. I don't know if they have since. I don't either, but if it's. Hopefully, if it's not something that you know, I mean, I, I hope other it's than natural, natural causes, causes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, even though it's a terrible thing to die of natural causes at such a relatively young age, you know, I do hope that's what it was. But um, yeah, just what a what a terrible loss. Because look, you know, Pantera divided people, and certainly, <laughs> you know, the Abbott brothers divided people. Um, but there is no denying that Vinnie Paul is one of the most influential drummers in the history of metal. You know, there is, well, I w- you just can't, you can't have modern metal without Vinnie Paul's influence. Uh, he brought totally. so much, he brought such attention to drummers that was starting to fade maybe after the heyday of people like Nikki Six in the eighties and stuff. Um, yeah, just, uh, what a loss. Yeah. And, and this, and I wonder how many people saw the passing of, of uh, Vinny and were like, man, what a great drummer and really got very nostalgic over his contributions to metal. And I wonder, I think about how so much of the Pantera fan base basically shit on everything that he did after he left true. Pantera, yeah, right? True. People very dismissive of damage plan, very dismissive of hell. Yeah. I get a chance to see hell. Yeah. A few years ago on the mayhem festival when they toured with Slayer and King diamond and they were great. They put on a great live show. Um, just like one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is like, be open to different kinds of music, be open to, you know, having new experiences. And I feel like as metal fans, sometimes we get so locked into, this is what this person is known for that. As soon as they try to start to do something else, people just dismiss it completely out of hand. I don't know that 
a lot of people gave anything that he did after Pantera a fair shake when he moved on to other bands and just continually just compared them to Pantera and were like, nope, not even close. These guys are posers, whatever. Um, and that kind of sucks, you know, yeah. it, because it's so it, music is a hard freaking business. And I was really reminded of that when I went to see, I don't know if we talked about this in the show or not, but I recently saw Armored Saint um, play their whole Symbol of Salvation album live. And the opening band for them was uh, Act of Defiance, which is Chris Broderick and uh, Sean Drover's band. Uh, and it, it's just, here's two guys that were in Megadeth and playing arenas, right? We're playing sold out shows all over the world. And now they're opening for Armored Saint in a very small venue they are building this band, and they have two albums out now, from scratch, completely from scratch, are building a new thing, trying to build an audience around a new thing. And I see so many comments when they post news about Act of Defiance of like how, oh, these guys are crap and blah, blah, blah. And from people who have never even given that band a fair shake, I think they're fantastic, but it's so hard to build something in the music landscape right now and so it just it just struck me as i was i actually got a chance to meet and talk to chris broderick and so humble man you know and so invested in building this new thing and and really excited about you know the passionate fans that they have right now that are coming out to sort of see their shows and it's just and then we lose somebody like Vinny, right and then he's gone and people like oh my god you know i would you know maybe they wish that they would have appreciated the music that he's been making over the past decade a little bit more or something like that. So it just, it kind of all brought it full, full circle to me of like, we can be really dismissive sometimes as a metal community of these guys who go on to play in different bands or try to start something new and really can never get a foothold because they're so shackled to whatever it was that they had created in the past. It's just, uh, hopefully a lot of fans were like, wow, maybe we should have given him a fair shake and, you know, really celebrated whatever he was doing now after he had moved on from Pantera because now he's gone yep. and we don't get any more new it's, music from him. So it's the old story, isn't it? You don't know what you've got until it's gone. You know, you don't miss it. Yeah, totally. So yeah, uh, just, and if you want to hear us, um, if you, you know, if you're a relatively new listener to the show and you want to hear us talk more in more depth about Pantera and about their heyday, uh, we covered vulgar display of power in the last volume of thrashed out and that was uh volume three track four so go to the website um or look us up in you know the feed for the podcast in your podcast player of choice and you'll be able to find that you know um, what would it be about 10 episodes back now all righty all right so moving on uh to yes <laughs> in tombs album wolverine blues which i want to quickly before we even go down this road i want to quickly say has nothing to do with the marvel superhero even though in America, the record label did a deal with Marvel to put out a version of the album with Wolverine on the cover. The band were, Which Entombed was not happy about. The band were not happy about that at all, yeah. they Wolverine Blues is in the context of the animal, the actual animal, the Wolverine, Correct. which I believe is fairly common in Sweden. It's, uh, you know, it's indigenous to Sweden and obviously is known as a vicious animal you know a small but absolutely ferocious uh animal uh hunting you know carnivorous hunting killing and what have you uh and so naturally fits well with you know the imagery of uh a death metal band um you know you can see where that came from but yes because outside <laughs> or in america full stop most people when they hear wolverine especially probably metal fans think of the superhero 
So uh, yes, there was that confusion. I kind of, I dove down a rabbit hole trying to find out more about that. So I I believe that uh, the interior comic that was included with the album, and I don't have a a physical copy of the album, was from X-Men number 25. And it was John Bolton, I believe, was the artist on the actual comic book that was included because they did include a comic in the liner notes of that. And I think it was just an excerpt or I don't know if it was an entire issue. I'm assuming not. It was, uh, you know, uh, parts of X-Men number 25, I think, is what it was. I could not for the life of me, though, find who the cover artist was, because when I looked at it, that cover image of Wolverine, the first uh, person that I thought of was is it sam keith who does the max oh yeah yeah okay i thought it was like it had that sort of oh i thought style i thought me. simon bisley oh okay so it, and if anybody knows please you know hit us up in the show in the uh discussion for mm, this one because yeah. i could not find it it wasn't on wikipedia i did a search for it all i kept coming up with was the interior comic which was from a comic that had already been put out so it wasn't an original comic that was put into the liner notes is my understanding of that it was just sort of an excerpt from uh, X-Men 25. So Right. It's also yeah. actually talking about editions of the album. It's also worth mentioning that the version uh, because that uh, that edition because it had like, you know, the Marvel logo and stuff on it, uh was quite different. Uh see the the general American version was different anyway to the European release and then the uh-huh. Marvel version was different again. So Because it was censored, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, it had uh, profanity censored out of the songs. It had one song literally just completely missing. The last song out of hand just wasn't on that edition at all. Uh so yeah, and it also had uh samples from movies removed. Uh as yep. have all later editions of the album whether in America or in Europe. However, I bought this album the week it came out. So I have and I'm looking at it right now. I still have my CD edition of the very first version complete with the out of hand is the last track and the movie samples and that is the edition that we have been listening to and that we'll be talking about yep uh so the band were uh, a bit of background they were formed officially formed in 1987 uh they kind of unofficially formed before that because they basically used to be a band called nihilist um except that the drummer and the bassist fell out the bassist got kicked out uh he formed a new band and the remaining remaining members of nihilist reformed basically as entombed renamed themselves hired a new bassist uh, and called themselves entombed um uh which you know is not an unusual story in the world of metal <laughs> let's be honest is it you know there's loads of bands that start out as another band and then reform minus one or two members or with an additional member or two under a new name and that's how they find success. Um, so you had uh, Nicky Anderson on drums, who was clearly always been you know, sort of driving force in the band. Uh, Alex Hellid, another of the original founding members and another driving force. And Oof Siederland on guitars. Uh, Leif Kuzner on bass. He was the replacement guy they got. And Lars Graham Petrov on vocals. But <laughs> uh, before they even recorded their debut album, uh, Kuzner was fired, uh, and they recorded, uh, of Seedle on the guitarist played the bass on their first album. Uh, it was called left hand path. Uh, and then they hired a guy called Lars Rosenberg on bass, but then they fired Petrov, the vocalist, because apparently he tried to cop off with Nikki Anderson's girlfriend. 
and Anderson performed vocals on their second album. Which That's is, not cool. Which is called Clandestine. Uh, they then hired a new vocalist uh, for the tour of that album, but then fired that vocalist before they recorded the third album and got Lars Goran Petrov back again. And so that's the lineup for Wolverine Blues. And if you thought that's the end of it, think again, because after this album, they hired yet a different bass player. And then after that, Anderson oh, I'm, left. I'm looking at their timeline oh, chart here, and, and it's very colorful. Yeah, Alex Hellid left. They split into two different bands, both yeah. called Entombed. They began taking one another to court. It's, it's a horrible, horrible mess, uh, which is a shame because this lineup on this album was lightning in a bottle, you know, made something really special, I thought. And unfortunately, they just couldn't get it together to uh, to stick well, with that lineup for very long. And clearly, at the time that they came in, pulling a lot of influence from the early 80s thrash bands, you know, like, oh, yeah, that had been sort of out and about, which was which was kind of cool. One quick uh, unrelated fact, I was watching the Bethesda presentation the other day when they were talking about doom eternal and one of the devs came out in an entombed shirt really and was uh, on stage yeah i'll have to go back and find the youtube video but yeah they were they were talking about the new doom game that they're working on and i could have sworn i only watched it for a couple of seconds i'm like that guy's wearing an entombed shirt yep he was up on stage wearing an entombed shirt so that was pretty cool that is fantastic um i'm actually not that up on the Swedish death metal scene. I know a bit about it, but I would never call myself any kind of expert. Uh, you know, well, I'm 10 levels below that, whatever that's right. called. And, and the same with Norwegian <laughs> black metal. And there is crossover yeah. between the two. Uh, like Lars Garam Petrov actually started out as a drummer in a band that featured uh, Dead uh, in the band as well. And, you know, who is obviously famous Norwegian black metal who is now dead. And just there's a lot of incestuous goings on in that scene between all of those bands. However, uh, on the Facebook group, actually, Justin Nipper uh, posted in a thread earlier this week, and I'll just read his post. He says, if there are any diehard Entombed fans here now, I urge you all to go out and grab a copy of Daniel Eckroth's excellent book, Swedish Death Metal, uh, the history of both Entombed and Nihilist, as well as pretty much every other important death metal band from Sweden is covered in thorough detail, and it's filled with loads of of awesome obscure photos and flyers and a comprehensive A to Z band list and Swedish zine list. And he's actually put a link to uh, to where you can buy the book and there'll be it. It's called Swedish Death Metal uh, by Daniel Eckeroth. Uh, And Andy Larson, there's only one reply, but that's Andy Larson. Of course it is. Uh, Who just goes, solid recommendation. So there you go. (laughs) Well, and it seems like there's been a lot of battle between former members of the band over the past several years about the rights to To the name. Yeah. Yeah. To the name and stuff like that. That's why There's a couple articles. Alex Hellid left and form and took tried to take the name with him. Uh and the remaining members of Entombed basically carried on without him but had to call themselves Entombed AD. And now they may not even be able to do that anymore because uh I saw a thing where Alex Hellid won a court battle for the rights to the name. Uh so it's Yeah, because he wants to sell beverages under the right. entombed moniker. <laughs> Of all the things, man. Unbelievable, right? I know. So it really is a horrible, horrible mess, and it's such a shame because, like I say, and one of the things I love about this band and this album is that everyone in the band, apart, ironically, from LG Petrov, um, contributed to songs. Like every single other member of the band is, and it's dominated, the songwriting, both lyrics and music, is dominated by Nicky Anderson and Alex Hellid. But every other member of the band is involved. Um, and so 
yeah, it's such a shame that, as I say, they just couldn't keep it together to uh, to make more records like this. Um, so yeah, going back to discovering them, I had not heard of this band at all until Wolverine Blues was reviewed in Kerrang. Uh, God knows I have tried to find that review since. Uh, not just now, but I mean, many times over the years. But it it is not online. Kerrang does not have online archives that go back that far. Uh, nobody even seems to have scanned it. I mean, I've even spent a long time trawling like Google images and stuff with various sure. keywords trying to find a scan of it. I don't recall who it was by. It might have been Jason Arnop, but it but it might not. I really don't remember. What I do remember, the only thing I remember, apart from the fact that it obviously made me go out and buy the album, uh, is that it went into it went into great lengths about how this wasn't your average death metal because it was quite catchy and the songs were quite short. And then it had the only line I can actually remember is it said, it simply doesn't get any heavier than this. And then I, I believe gave the album the maximum five Ks, you know, five out of five. Um, yep. so I thought, well, clearly this is something that I have to listen to. You know, clearly this is an album that I have to at least try out bit with such a strong recommendation. And so I saw it in my local store and I was like, right, okay. And bought it and have never regretted it since because it is literally one of my all time favorite albums. Uh, from the moment, from the very first listen through, I was like, that was absolutely amazing. I need to listen to it again immediately. If there was one quality, and this is a, probably an unfair question, but if there was one quality about this album that puts it in that category for you, like what was it about the album that just skyrocketed it for you as just one of your all-time favorites? That is really that is really difficult to say. Uh if I had, you know, you put a gun to my head, I would say probably The Aggression. It is okay. one of the most aggressive albums, whilst also being catchy and not too long and having great vocals and, you know, a great guitar sound and brilliant drumming sure. and, you know, all of those other things. It is the whole package, but yeah. it is so aggressive um, that I, uh, yeah, I just, I love it. I remember okay. that same week, actually, the very first week that I had it, I took... We had, I think I've mentioned this before, Our the town where I grew up was not big enough to have like a dedicated metal night or a dedicated goth night or anything like that. Yeah. So we had one night where all of the local alt metal indie, you know, people got together. It was called The Stomp. Um, and it was, so it was a massive like fusion, a big melange of, yeah, goths and metalers uh, and even a hip hop fans to an extent and just, you know, if you weren't into mainstream music, basically, that was where you went. And I took this C I knew the DJ, and I took the CD uh, up that same week and gave it to him and said, just play the last track at the end of the night. Uh, and he said, okay. And I don't think he even listened to it first. <laughs> and of course, the last track is out of hand. And it, right, and you were like, <laughs> score one for me in metal. Suffice to say that I was the only person on the dance floor banging my head and this was back yeah. when i had long hair as well banging my head and roaring fuck like there was no tomorrow it was brilliant everybody's just staring at me going what the fuck is this what have you done <laughs> that is awesome oh man i even painted the uh entombed logo from this album on the back of my leather that is how much i absolutely love this album. really just on the strength of this oh, one album okay. yeah i mean you know that and that's valuable real estate uh, it's absolutely valuable real estate, one hundred percent. So yeah, to get a spot in the in the sort of uh, 
that back trophy case that is your <laughs> is your real estate <laughs> on your leather. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was uh, what did I have on there? I had uh, on the sleeves, I had Little Death and Little Dream from Sandman. Uh, uh-huh. uh, on the front, I had an anarchist symbol, of course, because you know, uh, of course, you and did. then on the back, I had a Sisters of Mercy quote across the top. I had my own band's logo in the middle because <laughs> that's me. Um, and then entombed down the bottom. Uh, I can't think what else was on it though. So yeah, it was now. So, do you still have that? No, no, alas, I, I lost it many years ago. I, okay, so I left it let behind. Let me ask you this then. I, can you believe this? I left it behind when I moved house and just completely forgot to take it with me. Uh, well, somewhere along the way, I lost my uh, jean jacket with my original ACDC Who Made Who patch, which oh, was the no. first one that I ever bought, my first back patch that I ever bought. But in recent years, I have strongly been considering assembling a new one, a new one. <laughs> and that's why I was asking if you still had it, because I, every time I go to a show, like I've, I've made it a point to now get a t-shirt at every show that I go to because my whole collection of t-shirts had all gotten given away, gotten thrown out, whatever the case may be. So when I really started going back to attending a lot of shows in the past, like 10, 15 years, I've tried to pick up a shirt at every show that I go to because I, I want to have that stuff be part of my collection, but I have really been tempted recently to start putting another jacket together with patches and with, because with eBay and everything else, like you can find, Oh yeah patches for just about everything and you can find a lot of those old ones and so i've been strongly considering that and as the weather gets a little bit cooler here and we get into the fall i'm strongly considering getting that so that's why i was asking if you still had it because i i I have that envy when i go out and i see people with these amazing patch cover jackets (laughs) i'm like i think i really want one of those now i think i'm going to start putting one together and what would those bands be today or would i just go to all my go-to's for over the years and put them all back on, or would I? Yeah, would that's I have a question, some new isn't stuff it? In there? I, mean, I, I, what, I, I think it would be a combination of the two. One of my oldest friends uh, still has his leather from those days. You know, this is a guy I've uh-huh. known since since the times we're talking about, and he still has his leather, uh, and it's still the same. He's never, I don't think he's ever repainted anything. So you know, bits of the paint are flaking off and stuff, and the leather itself obviously is nearly thirty years old now. Uh, and he still wears it. He still puts it on, you know, when we, if we, I go and visit and then we go out to the pub or go out and get takeout or something, you know, he'll put his leather on. And, uh, yeah. And I, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I'm so annoyed with myself. For just, I left it just hanging well, on a coat hook in the hallway and moved house. That's brutal. <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. Well, and it also makes me think of the whole like denim versus leather, right? I mean, Saxon wrote denim right, and leather. Right, yeah. And I think they hit on that because though, like, for some people, it's one or the other. You know, whatever they chose to to sort of make their metal armor from was. Yeah, uh, for me, it was all it was always leather. I had a denim jacket, and it was always but it denim was, for me. I had a denim, but only because I couldn't afford a leather. The minute I left school and could afford a leather, you know, could get the money together to buy one, I, I did. Sure. I bought one. It's motorhead, so man. Funny. You know, <laughs> no life well, to leather. Um, there you go. So, getting back to the album, uh, right? So, yeah, as a, a as I said, like one of the things that I loved most about it was just the sheer immediacy and the aggression of it. And part of that, a big part of that, as you mentioned earlier, is Lars Graham Petrov's vocals. This is the, the as, as I've talked about before, the shouty growl style of vocals that I prefer. If you're going to have growl vocals, I like them to sound like the vocalist is 
you know, he's about to lose his voice. He's hollering at the top of his lungs. And there are several places on this album where it does genuinely sound like Petrov oh, is about to lose his voice. It definitely sounds like that on this album, for sure. <laughs> he definitely fits into that category, for sure. But but you, so how does that work for you? You know what? I would say what I love about doing this podcast is that when we first started Thrash It Out, I was a, that was an immediate turnoff for me. Uh, any Any sort of non-clean vocals were an immediate turnoff for me. And I feel like I've come a long way over that period of time where it's something that registers with me as soon as I hear it, but I'm able to work past that pretty quickly. I mean, I prefer his vocals here than, uh, for me, the Cookie Monster vocals are the hardest to get into, and the the sort of mumble um, vocals are the hardest to get into. So here, he's got that raspy, you know, blowing out his vocal cords approach, but I can understand him. You can understand Even, the words he, he's saying. Yes, exactly. And so for me, like as long as I have that, I feel like I because if I can't even understand the words, then like with the mumbly, like super cookie monster vocals, I almost have to turn that part of my brain off and just focus on something else within the music to find my hook that's going to bring it in. So I would say that um, even though this is my preferred type of vocal approach, it was not a huge distraction for me. And as I've continued to listen to the album, like it, it, it fits so perfectly with what with the music, these guys are yeah, doing yeah. musically that it, you know, it really, um, you know, it'd be like taking Lemmy out of motorhead. Right. Right. You no, know, it was like, then, then it's not motorhead. Anymore. Well, and I've, I do have, I, you know, cause after getting, after loving this album, I did then, you know, buy some other stuff by the band and I have, uh, clandestine, the second album by them with Nicky Anderson on the vocals. And it just isn't the same. It's just, you know, I mean, he's not a bad vocalist. He can do a good death metal growl, but it just ain't the same. You know, the really yeah. Petrov's voice is so just, I don't know. So powerful. There's something about it that, like, he just, he genuinely sounds like he is just shouting at the world. And, yeah, the, his entire being is behind this vocal thrust. Uh, that totally. It, and it lends this, it lends to that aggression that you're talking about because you can feel it in every word. You can. Which is another reason why it astounds me that he has no credits on this album. Like, he has no writing credits, no mu- neither musically nor lyrically at all. He's just the vocalist. Which, you know, to be, I think that's a credit to, to him. I mean, it's kind of weird, but, but it's a credit that to to not have any involvement in the writing and yet be able to give that performance. Yeah, it's like method acting, right? Like right. He, he is able to take what someone else has created and put himself into it so much that you would, it shocks you that he didn't create it himself. Right, exactly, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, kind of really impressive i think to be able to give that level of performance when you didn't write the words agreed uh or you know by it it sounds like have any involvement in them at all because it's not like it's not like they're going to work on vocal melodies <laughs> together right <laughs> you know what i mean um so yeah i would say that th- th- that it reminds me a little bit of like joey belladonna how he's approached some of the anthrax stuff that he hasn't right had a hand in writing but he's able to live in it and really bring it across as if it's his own. Right, right. Um, another thing I love about this album in general, uh, you know, before we get onto the specific tracks, is, uh, and we've talked about this before, you know, this is my kind of, for me, this is a golden era of metal. And one of the reasons I liked that, and this album, even though it is a death metal album, obviously it is, as I said at the start, it is kind of genre busting because it basically in uh, created 
what we now call death and roll, uh, which is just one of the worst genre <laughs> names I've ever terrible. heard. It's terrible. Yeah, there's too many genres. Oh, um, but the idea is that it's like it's you know kind of death metal, but it's short and catchy. And I mean, basically, it just means entombed. I mean, anybody in the death and roll genre is basically just trying to sound like entombed on this album. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's such a ridiculous thing to try and give it a genre. But it, yeah. but it was unusual for a death metal album of the time. Uh, it, rem- it, it reminds me a little bit of Volbeat in the sense that it's hard to classify. Right. It, in you know what I mean? Like that when I listen to Volbeat, I'm always like, man, I I would have a lot of trouble dis- describing these guys in one word or, <laughs> yeah. or a few words. You know what I mean? Like there, and I feel that way about this album because there was there's shades of Slayer. There's shades of Black Label Society. There's shades of White Zombie. There's like, for me, as I, that's my catalog that I'm pulling from as I listen to it. And it's just an interesting mix of a lot of different influences. Yeah, exactly. It has a lot of those crossover and experimental touches that were in the early 90s that were sort of making their way into metal. And that's one of the things that makes that era, for me, such a great one. Uh, because bands were willing to experiment with different sounds and different techniques. And you've got things like the reverse vocal echo on the intro to iMaster and flanged guitar and spacey vocal effects on rotten soil. And, you know, these things were unheard of for a straight up death metal band. Nobody else in that genre was doing that sort of thing. But it is those moments that help make the album stand out and apart from those other bands um and i would argue too that the fact that they're they're really kind of mid-tempo a lot of these songs allow you to experience that stuff because sometimes when you ramp up the speed you lose a lot it's like you you, you're scaling it and losing what makes it unique and everything starts to sort of blend together but if this if these songs were played faster i think they would all sound very similar to one another and the fact that they're not played so fast is what allows you to kind of discover the nuances but this is also an album where the first couple of listens through it sounded to me like a like one of black label society's sort of middling efforts in in the sense that uh, with black label society with zach stuff like a lot of it can tend to sound the same sure you know on, on any given record and when i first started listening to this i felt like there was not a lot of separation between a lot of the songs here and, and again, the case for multiple listens that you should really give music, uh, you should live with it for a while because it's really started to blossom each time I listen to it now. Well, and that brings me on to the other thing that I, that I love about this album and that actually taught me musically a few things, which is the importance of dynamics because it is musically, you know, the guitar sounds the same all the way through. Petrov's vocals sound the same all the way through. The drums yep. sound the same all the way through. And a lot of them are mid-tempo, and they, but they have fast sections and slow sections. They have soft sections and loud sections. And it does, you know, every song, no song is flat. Basically, every song goes up and down within the three or four minutes. Uh, yep. Uh, you know, it, not necessarily up and down the fretboard. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, they play all three chords. Um, but they're either playing with, you know. But like I said, the dynamics, um, yeah, you know, this kind of, yeah. and, and Nicky Anderson's drums are a huge part of that. He is such, he has such a big hand in their, in their sound. Uh, I mean, he also has credit on this album with some guitar as well. Um, and if you have, if you look at the sleeve of the edition of the album I have, he is the first member of the band listed. Uh, you know, the drummer, 
is the first person listed on the credits. How often does that happen? Not Almost never. Yeah, not very. So he's clearly hugely important to their sound. Um, and you, But it comes across in the sound of it. You can hear that when you listen to the album because the drumming, the speed of it, the dynamics of it, the stop-start, you know, some of the little flourishes and the rhythms are so important to the songs on this album. And again, are one of the things that help sort of separate it from the pack, if you yep. like, of of death metal, especially at that time. Now, I didn't find a ton of interviews about this. I didn't find a ton of interviews, period, with no. Entombed, you know, in terms of uh, usually it's pretty easy to go back and find interviews even from back in the day that have been scanned in or something like that. But I, I found an interesting review, like a retro review of this album that I thought you would appreciate because I know I certainly did. It was on InvisibleOranges.com, and the review of this album says, Even in extreme metal, hooks are important. They make listeners want to keep listening to a record and form a relationship with it. When it comes to hooks, Entombed penned the pyromania of Swedish death metal albums. (laughs) Which for me, I was like, huh, I like that. I'm sure for some Entombed fans, they'd be like, shut up, don't talk about Def Leppard when we're talking about death metal. But uh, No, but I see his point. I see his point, and he's absolutely right. This is, because this isn't a straight-up death metal album. You know, I'm not really into straight-up death metal. Um, You know, I I don't find it offensive, but it's not really my thing. But death metal, with a twist, like we had on Individual Thought Patterns, or like you have on this, that I can get behind, because I do like the sound. And I think you just described my uh, my thoughts as well like i if it was a straight up death metal album probably a lot tougher for me to get into this had places for me to jump in and find something that was familiar to me yeah yeah and it is one of those albums where i mean and they're not the only one who've done this there's a, a lot of uh bands who found success who've hit their peak really and found success by doing something completely out of left field i mean you do get a lot of bands who kind of hit that peak through natural development a sort of logical evolution you know like individual thought patterns really felt right. like that far beyond driven you know that feels like this sort of logical conclusion of everything pantera have been doing up to that point uh paradise lost draconian times the album after icon the one we covered or even you know get out of metal and you get things like depeche mode with violator again felt like the natural conclusion to the direction they've been going in for the previous albums but then every so often you get a band like this who arguably, you know, make their masterwork by doing something completely out of left field. I'll tell you another good example. Chaos AD by Sepultura. Oh. Which really... Which I just picked up again. Right, and I mean, that's a super... A few weeks ago. superb album. And you can argue whether you think Roots is, the, you know, the better album or whatever. But Chaos AD does not sound anything like Sepultura's previous albums. It really doesn't. No, and I think Chaos AD is the better one myself. And so do I. I agree with you. It is worlds away from their previous albums, and yet that's the one that was the breakout. That's the one. And nobody's going to argue that Chaos AD is some kind of pop record, you know? It's not like they... Right, exactly. <laughs> it's not like they sold out. But that is the one that found them massive success because they went a bit left field that, you know, they did something different. And it was, I think the same with this. I think that's why Entombed are still around today and why they still have this legacy and success is because they were willing to go, let's do something different. Let's take influences from other places and combine it with our sound and see what comes out of it. And what comes out of it is this, which is a truly classic album. Now, is there uh, again not knowing the history of Entombed? It seems like there, there. This was a divisive album among their fans. It, was this their black album? 
you know, in in terms of yeah, yeah, I guess you could you could maybe say that. I mean, like I say, I wasn't familiar with the band at all, so I didn't sure I didn't know any other entombed fans. I was literally like, I was listening to this album, going, "You've got to hear this," and everybody was going, "Who the fuck are entombed?" (laughs) 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 Um, I I didn't know any other entombed fans, uh, so I have no idea how it was received in the community. I mean, retrospectively, you know, looking back, yeah, I've seen things where people. Some hardcore death metal fans who got who loved their first two albums were like, "Oh, this is sure. a terrible sellout album, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But I don't know how widespread that sentiment was. Yeah, interesting. I, I, uh, the one last thing before we get into the actual like tracks themselves, but I was this album made me want to check out some of their other stuff, and so I was doing a little research on their earlier albums and. Left Hand Path, which is just an interesting concept in and of itself to explore in an album, they have the first song on that album, or it might be the title song on that album. At about three minutes and 45 seconds of that song, it becomes an extended jam of the theme from Phantasm. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And because of that, (laughs) these guys have automatically (laughs) elevated (laughs) themselves into a special place in my heart because the phantasm series is one of my all-time yep, yep. favorite series for a lot of different reasons and the theme to phantasm is one of the great horror movie scores of all time and they jam it out in a super heavy awesome way so if you haven't if this is your first visit to entombed as well or you never listened to that laugh stuff uh you, you look up uh, left hand path the song and at about three minutes and 45 seconds, it becomes something amazing. See, I had no idea. I've got Left Hand Path, but I had no idea because I'm not into the Phantasm movies. I had no idea that that's what oh they were doing God, there. Oh, my God, they're so good. <laughs> yep. Okay, now I'm going to have to go back and listen to it again. Oh, my goodness. And, if you, and you can find online, too, the actual original score sure. online yeah, yeah. of Phantasm. And, man, did they lend some weight to that. It was super <laughs> cool. Did you recognize all of the samples, by the way, all the movie samples? I I don't think I did. Okay. They're mostly from, uh, there's Hellraiser. Uh, that one I recognize. Yeah, Flatliners, uh, which is the one on Rotten Soil. With wake, Kevin Bacon. Wake up, right, you little it, shit, it, we got company. Uh, yeah, 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 Kevin Bacon and, and, and Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought when I first heard it, I'd seen Flatliners, but only once, like in the Yeah, that theater. was exactly the same for me. Uh, yeah. And when I first heard this, I was... For some reason, I was convinced that that sample was from Trespass, if you've ever seen that. Oh, yeah. The Ice Cube, Ice T, the, the Bills and the Ices. Ice Cube, Ice T, Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Not, not, Trespass. Not Bill Pullman. That's another one I only saw one time. Not Bill Pullman, sorry. Um, uh, Bill, Bill Paxton, Sadler. right? Bill Paxton and Bill. Oh, Sadler. Yeah. Bill Paxton and Bill Sadler. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, which is not a great movie. It's all right. Uh, but yeah, for some reason, I was convinced that this sample, for years, I was convinced that it was from that movie. I don't know why. <laughs> And then I found out it was from Flatliners. Uh, and then there's the sample at the end, which on uh, the one that starts out of hand, which I actually have no idea where it comes from. Uh, I've, if anybody knows what movie that is from, please let us know, because I have no idea. Someone must know out there. I would think so. I would think so. But like I say, they're missing from subsequent pressings of the album, which I just find uh, depressing, because I cannot imagine out of hand without that intro, and I cannot imagine Rotten Soil without that line before the chorus and and stuff. So... Yeah, I, I, wow, that's just weird to me. <laughs> anyway, so let's get on to the album. Uh, it is, yeah, 1993, as we said, 10 songs, 36 minutes. Man, they do not 
They do not overstay their welcome <laughs> really on this album, which I really like that. I mean, there, there's a couple of songs that are in like the, you know, between four and five minutes. But by and large, these are most songs are not longer than three and a half minutes on this album. Yep. There are there are only three songs longer than four minutes on this album, and none of them are longer than four minutes 30. Not a single one, uh, which, you know, as we said, for a death metal band, that's <laughs> rare. <laughs> um, yeah but i definitely serves the album well i think oh totally yeah 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 yeah, that, yeah. that's the thing you and th- th- this is why i said it, it's like it's the whole package like yes there are uh, you know other bands and other albums that are equally as aggressive as this but they might do it over the course of 55 minutes of an album and you know maybe that just doesn't work as well maybe that doesn't have as much impact much like we said about the you know early slayer albums all being quite short it has that just get in smack you in the face and then run away (laughs) you know it feels like you've been mugged or something (laughs) absolutely um and yeah i just think it's so it's really effective in that sense so uh, anyway we've gassed for long enough about that let's get on to the tracks so track one opening the album is i master is the one that starts with the hellraiser sample and it's from it's from hellraiser 3 right i think Wasn't so it? yeah 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 hell on earth yeah 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 it, probably the most straight up death metal track on the album i think uh i agree with you i and and interesting choice for a first track on the album because not necessarily i think in some ways indicative of what you're going to get on the rest of the album but in some ways not yeah no I, i'd agree with that but uh it is as you say in some ways because there is still plenty of you know rock and roll let's call it that uh for sure you know yeah. in this as well it does swing in places you know the drums again are quite kind of groovy um but even then uh, even in this track there is more complexity than you might think and that's one of the things i love about this album overall is it sounds deceptively simple and then the more you listen to it and especially if you're trying to sort of tap along with it or something, you start thinking, oh, actually, some of these rhythms are quite complex. Uh, I think you just nailed it for me. That That's exactly basically what I was trying to get at earlier, is that you, if you don't listen to this album several times, you're probably not going to start to separate those things out. Right. Yeah, because there are six, four it, sections in here, and even the blast rhythms, they're not entirely just straight four four at times you know they do change and alter and stuff uh but all while being as heavy as fuck it reminded the this first song parts of it reminded me of prong oh wow like that was right. what jumped into my mind when i first the the thing that immediately hit me in the face 
was how crunchy and present the bass is in the mix. Yes. Like, man, oh man, if you like bass, <laughs> this album just has such a bottom end. Like, it's it's just boom, right in your foot. That that drove so much of the aggression for me is how crunchy that bass it is. It is, it is. I don't know if the bass on this is put through a, a pedal. Um, this is one of the, Entombed were one of the bands that kind of, uh, helped create and develop and embed in the consciousness the Swedish death metal sound, which yeah. uh, is basically a Boss HM2 pedal with everything turned up to maximum. Like it's again, it's the Motorhead philosophy. There's no subtlety. Everything here. louder than everything right, else. Yeah. Yeah. There's no subtlety here. It's literally. I once saw an amusing YouTube video, like a parody video on this. You know, you get people going how to get the perfect sound and what have you, and they take ten minutes setting out all their dials just so. And it was, um, I think it might even have been the guy who produced this album, whose name I've forgotten for the moment, uh, which is dreadful of me. Let's, let me see if I can find it. Uh, you can hear me looking at the inlay now. Um, oh, damn it. No, I can't remember who, uh, oh, Thomas Scottsburg. That's it. Yeah. I think it may even have been him, uh, in, in a studio going, I'm going to show you how to make the perfect, uh, Swedish death metal guitar sound. And, uh, and he was doing it all completely straight faced and serious at first, plugged everything in like with the pedal and then just went, and then you turn this dial to maximum and then you turn this dial to maximum That's and then awesome. you turn this dial to maximum. <laughs> but it's it's true i've got one of those and there you have it i've got one of those pedals and it's absolutely true uh you know just turn everything up and you can you two can sound like this and i don't know if they did that with the bass as well but whatever they did with the bass yeah it is despite the fact that guitars are incredibly loud and crunchy on this album the bass does come through in the mix oh it comes through in the mix like super clearly and and is all the better for it, yeah. So absolutely, I mean, this is as you said, it's kind of in some ways it is representative of the album that's to come. In some ways, it isn't, but it is a great opening track. You know, very very. I fast think so and heavy. too. It, it's very hooky, um, especially that like pre-core that very sort of bluesy yes. sort of thing. That if I had to, if if you pulled one image from my head from this album, like when someone mentions this album to me, it's that first song, that hook right there to me is really kind of embedded in my head now. Oh, wow. Like it, it, it stands out. So yeah, this song grabs your attention for sure. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause I mean, I love that bit, but the bit that stands out to me of this song is actually the main riff, the, the that for some yeah. reason, that's always in my head when I think of this band and this album. Um, so, uh, next song is, uh, I'll say right now, my favorite my joint favorite song on the album that is track two rotten soil Yeah. 
opening riff to the song is just thick yes like it's just really <laughs> thick it, it really is yeah it's uh i love everything about this song it is it has a great intro i think most of these songs have really great intros actually they i would agree with they're you they're really good at that um it is it bursts you know the intro sort of like everything bursts in uh it's very very loud and fast it's a great riff it's a, it is a good hook um Great performance by Petrov and the lyrics are just fantastic. Um, strike down when you believe in, get it done with a fucking gun. When I'm in hell, you can talk to my ghost. I mean, that's just, that's, that's yeah, no, worthy that's, of Motorhead, you know? No misunderstandings there. And it's funny you mentioned Motorhead because this song feels very Motorhead to me. And it also feels very stomped 442 era anthrax to me. Oh, it, yeah. It, it really, uh, uh, it, to me, it's groovier than the first song because it's not there. It's not it, the death metal elements are not present in this song in my mind. In the w- the way that the first one was a bit more of a mixed bag in terms of well, and uh, had the blast sort of, beats and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, this one is is much more kind of straight ahead, like rock and roll. Definitely Motorhead, and really to me had a a vibe of that Bush era Anthrax. You know, sound of white noise, stomp four forty two, which is my favorite era of Anthrax. I'd never, yeah. I'd never made that comparison, but maybe that's why I like those that era of Anthrax so much. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I did the other lyric, of course, the chorus lyric. Can you feel it itch? Can you feel it so divine when blood is pissing down your spine? I don't even know <laughs> what that means. No, and I don't but it's care. Very graphic. <laughs> it is very graphic. <laughs> yeah, these are clearly our young men who love watching horror movies. <laughs> yeah, well, and uh, I'm glad you hit on that because you know we kind of we we touched on the Hellraiser stuff, and I mentioned the Phantasm stuff. I mean, clearly, I do love the fact that these guys are obviously horror fans. Yeah. And will find ways to make nods to those things in their songs or in the overall feel of the album and stuff like that. So that that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a hook for me. Yeah. And the the other thing about this song in particular is just that chorus. Like musically, that chorus is so good and so catchy. And yeah, it's really not very death metal at all. And I don't care because it is just yeah. a really great well, chorus. And Again, like if the, if this is my way into death metal through death and roll, okay, like that, I'm I'm yep. <laughs> happy to walk that path because there is this is opening a door for me that has been very hard for me to open, you know, just in general. Sure, so, yeah. it, and I'm finding you know pieces of each of these songs that are like, oh, that could, that like this feels a little bit like Stomp 442, and so e- with each sort of layer that I'm able to find a way into it's it continues to grow more and more on me but yeah this is this one to me it was it was how thick that opening riff was and i think drove home to me after the first song that okay the selling point for me for this album is just the sludgy heaviness of especially the bass for me yeah but just the overall feel of like this is this feels like lead <laughs> right. like it's got a lead weight feel to it of like just 
you know, even though it's a lot of mid-tempo stuff, it's just so heavy. Well, and you can hear that. You can really hear the the thickness and the sludge of it. Uh, you can hear the pick scraping against oh, the yeah. strings. Oh, like you can, yeah, yeah, like each, but it's like very heavy-handed. It's like not. There's no. Um, you know, like uh, feather light dexterity. It's <laughs> no. that, t- that technicality <laughs> no. that even a lot of like death metal has where they're playing these elaborate, you know, solos and riffs and everything. And it's very, you know, about swiftness and moving your fingers across the neck and, and stuff like this is just like, you're almost playing with your knuckles. Right. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's garage death metal almost. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's it, which I, I, dig that yeah. apparently well i was just gonna say i mean you can really hear that in uh at the end of the chorus or is it halfway through the chorus uh basically after that line when blood is pissing down your spine and you get an actual palm muted section which frankly there aren't that many of uh you know going but it is and even that that's all it is is that and nicky anderson hitting the bass and yet it is so thick and heavy so rhythmic uh that yeah it just when they then open out with really letting the the guitar chords ring, it's uh, you know just absolutely was ringing in your ears, right? Um, so move on, title track, track three, Wolverine Blues. minutes and 16 seconds which is interesting for the title track yeah right, right. I, I made that exactly it's the shortest track on the album yep. i made that exact same note it's the shortest track on the album and that's the title track i love that <laughs> and i mentioned sludgy in the last song but this mm. song is sludgy yeah, yeah. like with capital letters yeah they really slow down for this one again great riff nice little simple pre-chorus um and then that lovely semitonal guitar that you get during the chorus while the drums are kind of lazily riding, it's it's one of those things where the drums almost feel behind, or is it the guitars that are behind the drum? You know, everything's just feels like it's barely hanging on, and it might suddenly slip away at any moment. Musically, I mean, and then this, the chorus finishes and it kicks back in with some real heaviness. This one really reminded me of early Black Label Society, like Sonic Brew. Oh, right. Which which really had a, a heavy bottom to it. And that's where that was where I found a lot of common ground with this album was with early Black Label Society. And that really helped me, especially when I hadn't listened to it enough times yet for it to really start to sort of separate and and feel the nuances there. That that was a common thread that I had was like, oh, this reminds me a lot of early BLS. Huh. Maybe then I need to go and listen to early Black Label Society, because I've only heard a few BLS tracks and it, have you heard okay, his no more but, tears 
Uh, I don't think so. So he did a ridiculously a, a version sludgy of, version right. of No More Tears that is like, feels like it's in quicksand. Like that's how <laughs> sludgy it is. I'll, I'll just send you the link to yeah, that yeah, because okay. I think that will tell you whether or not that, but, but especially his early albums were just like so much different from the Ozzy stuff for sure. Right, right. Oh yeah, okay. I shall have to uh, give that got, a try. He then, tried yeah. to. He's gotten a lot more melodic and and uh, I think softer over the years. But man, those early BLS albums were were very much about just like raw, just brutal. Oh, okay, uh, and that's a, a really good one. But that that is what Wolverine Blues reminded me of, and in a great way. Yeah, and yeah, the again, you know, sort of the connection with the Wolverine superhero, just not there at all. You you look at these lyrics, and it is clearly nothing. It's clearly about the animal and nothing to do with, uh, you know. Oh, right. Absolutely. Wolverine or the X-Men. But hey, you know, Um, I do love that line. uh, Pound for pound, I am the most vicious of all. I don't know why. There's something about that lyric that really, I really like. And just to go back to the Marvel thing, like this is, if I'm matching my era of Marvel uh, ups and downs. This was at a time, I think, when Marvel was really struggling financially. And so maybe making a licensing deal with a death metal band to put Wolverine on the cover was something that they would consider. I don't think that would happen today. Oh, I, I would very strongly doubt that, yeah. <laughs> but that, that <laughs> well, seemed it, to be a time days, where they were... Nowadays, it'd be the other way around. Nowadays, it'd be the record label going and begging Marvel to like you know put one of their superheroes on the cover of an album whereas in 93 yeah it's probably the other way around yeah that was like the era that they were selling off all the movie rights and everything and they were really kind of struggling and the comic market was not well, it was only a few years so. before they went bankrupt right so and so yeah that doesn't that's interesting though yeah I'm, I'm sure that's an interesting story there that someone must have documented somewhere other than just kind of the blurb we get in wikipedia maybe yeah i don't know i don't know it's the sort of thing that those kind of deals behind closed doors, unless somebody, you know, who was in that room is willing to talk about it, it may not, right. may not ever really uh, make it out. But yeah, I agree. It would be interesting to know what on earth was going through their minds. <laughs> I know, right? It says Wolverine, so let's put Wolverine on the cover. Jesus. Anyway. That's probably the extent of it. That's the whole story. Probably, yeah, probably. So, uh, yeah, like I say, shortest track on the album, which I just find perversely hilarious. Uh, and yep. then track four, Demon. One of my favorite 
openings on the whole album. I just... With the full stop and scream. Oh, proper, yeah, just absolutely yelling at the top of his voice. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that caveman scream to start it off is pretty good. This one has sort of a dead skin mask feel to it. A oh, little yeah, bit yeah. For me, from Slayer. It's got a great riff, uh, probably one of, in as far as ranking the album, one of my favorite songs on the album. Oh, really? Huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like it a lot. I'm not sure I'd necessarily put it up towards the top, but yeah, okay, that's interesting. I love the overlapping vocals on the verse lines here. It's such, yes. such a simple thing. Because it lends thing. to the whole like possession thing, it's, you know, like right. the whole, um, you know, ritualistic t- type of uh, feel to the lyrics. Well, and the idea as well that, you know, you possess so there are two voices in one body, right, that absolutely. sort of thing. Yeah, it's so so simple, so effective. And yet again, you know, is it's a bit like kind of, uh, I remember... Uh, God, who was the guy who produced, uh, nevermind. I've forgotten his name. Uh, was it, was it Butch Vig? I don't know. Or was it? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, I remember reading an interview. Not being a Nirvana fan, yeah. but we'll talk about that when we do that episode. <laughs> but I remember reading an interview where he said that he, he practically had to fight with Kurt Cobain to get into double track vocals because it was regarded as like, too artificial it wasn't it wasn't punk you know uh and the way he actually convinced him in the end was by saying you know john lennon double track vocals and if it's good enough for the beatles it's good enough for you (laughs) yeah but that's the kind of this is what i mean about these you know there's not it's this album is not some kind of like weird proggy experimental thing and i'm well aware of that but compared to death metal has often long been obsessed with purity and not selling out. And so doing things like having these overlapping vocals and these little uh, effects touches and things like that throughout the album were at the time anyway, very unusual to things to do for a death metal band. And it also brings up the, the sort of question of like, what is proggy and experimental when you are, a band that's very technically influenced to begin with. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. almost like that definition changes based on what your core foundational sound is. So, so in a lot of ways it is kind of, you know, very experimental, certainly for what they had established before. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but this is, I mean, I like to say, I, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily put it among my favorites, but I do like this track a lot. And I really love the uh, double time ending on this one that it kind of really, it's one of those tracks that builds towards its climax. Um, again, with Petrov screaming, <laughs> yelling over the top of the drums, and then it just, yep. bum, 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 you know, real proper hard stop ending, which I think all of these tracks, actually, now that I think about it, I don't think there are any fade outs, are there? I think they all have I don't think proper so. endings. And, yeah. But this was the first one that did that played, I think, so far in the album, that played with the, the whole full stop thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, throughout the whole song, there's been elements of that in, you know, on a line right. here or there in the other songs, but it's the first song that did it pretty much as a core part of the song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it works really well. I agree. Very well. Uh, track five is Contempt. You realize, by the way, that we are talking, we're spending more time talking about these tracks than the tracks take to play. <laughs> oh, well, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we're on brand so short (laughs) so yeah track five is contempt
So wow, I, I, I guess four, five, and six are probably my favorite songs on the album altogether. Uh, because this song is fantastic, and and I think like for four and five, for me, it was that I had a very Slayer vibe to them. Like this song definitely has like a South of Heaven vibe to me. Right. Yeah. When I listen to it, it, it's got a great creepy opening. The riff is awesome. And then it sort of morphs into more like a black label society sort of, um, you know, straight ahead rocker with a traditional, which I I would say for them is probably a traditional guitar solo. Um, But yeah, this song is definitely a standout for me on the album. And it's because it has that sort of South of Heaven vibe to it. Yeah. Well, this track and the following are the only tracks on the album written entirely by Alex Hellid, uh, the guitarist, yeah. uh, the founding guitarist, right? L- music and lyrics. He wrote everything on both of these tracks and he did also write the lyrics, but not the music to the previous track. I do love both of these tracks. I would place both of these, both five and six above demon myself. But like I say, you know, I love the whole album anyway. Um, this is also the longest track on the album, by the way, at uh, four thirty one. Uh, well, and again, this is usually where albums start to dip right, right or sag in the middle. But not and here we go yeah. with two of the best songs on the entire album back to back. Yep. And there's a lovely, and I think this is the kind of thing that you get when the music is written by a guitarist. There's a lovely little thing where the first verse uh, ends in all, it's all muted chords, like nothing sustains, you know, the, the way the first yep. verse plays. Uh, and then for the second verse, he plays the same riff. But this time everything's open, nothing's muted, and all the chords ring out. And it makes it the the effect it has is it makes it feel like it's getting louder and noisier. Even though there are no yep. new instruments in the mix, it feels like it's building and the noise is mounting. Um and that's really effective. I, I, I again, that's a technique. I think I may even have learned that technique from this album, like when writing my own stuff. Because I was uh, you know, listening to it and going, how does he do that? And then I kind of listened and went, oh, that's actually really, really simple, but really effective. And you could say that about a lot of the music on this album. It is, it's not complicated, complex music, but it is just, it works. Well, and then some of the lyrics here, no matter how low you are, there's always someone to look down upon. And so it goes on and on. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, before my eyes lies, and then uh, the next line has that lovely terrible pun civilization ho ho yeah well and i'll say this <laughs> i like, bet somebody was patting I'll, themselves on the back for that one <laughs> i would say that like 85 percent of the lyrics on this album are as cheesy as you will find in any hair metal song for sure like super cheese on a lot of these lyrics but there's also some real good nuggets yeah. in some of the lyrics that they have yeah. here too but yeah lots of cheese on on these lyrics i agree i mean it's one of those things where i give them a bit of a pass because it's not you know because english isn't their first language much like the halloween uh stuff you know in, and they're not native english speakers they're very good english speakers i've heard a couple of the members of the band interviewed and being scandinavian you know they all speak perfect english but nevertheless it isn't their first language so uh, you know, I, I'm always prepared to give people like that a bit of a pass on slightly Hey man, if you lyrics. want to give them a pass, that's fine. Like, if, if you don't want to uh, acknowledge the hair metalness of the lyrics, that's, that's okay. <laughs> no, like, I we acknowledge can, the cheesiness. We'll chalk it up to that. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, it's very, they're very much uh, sort of on the nose, but that was a great passage yeah. for me. And, and it reminded me, and I'll mention this in a couple songs, it, it reminded me a little bit of Typo Negative as well. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, I can see but we'll that. We'll talk about that with Blood Song. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing musically that I really love about this is the build-up to the middle eight. It starts at around two minutes 20 in, 
uh, you get squeals of feedback going on in the background as it all yeah. builds and then it rocks into the solo. That's another thing about these two tracks being written by the guitarist. They both have really good solos. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and kind of like a, just a straight-ahead awesome guitar solo in this song. Yeah, well, and this is right, actually, thinking about the the whole... Like, he's not trying to get too crazy with it. No. He's just playing a great, a nice straight-ahead guitar the, solo, which I like. Right, and the whole the whole death and roll thing. And I wonder, actually, how much of that is because... The guitar solos, almost all of the guitar solos on this album, uh, they're normally quite short. They're very bluesy. Yep. They're they, you know yep. they're not like Slayer guitar solos or something. They're not a million miles a minute and hammering away at the fretboard. They are very kind of yep. groovy and bluesy solos. Yeah, which uh, completely fits what they're going for on this album. Perfect. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to track six then, and that is "Full of Hell." song um another uh, another lyric i liked here there are times when not being human would be a source of inner pride yes that's one of my favorite lyrics on the whole album yeah yeah good stuff right there uh, this one ha- another uh, has another sort of great uh black label society sort of rocker vibe to me right right um yeah i mean great riffs again really really strong groove on this one this is yeah and bluesy yep. one of the grooviest tracks on the whole album uh, I love Agreed. that stop-start rhythm in the chorus. You know when he's doing the "At my worst, I'm at my best." Da dun really, really works. And another one with a great ending, um, uh, especially because it, it's almost deceptive. It feels like it's revving up for another section. You think, "Oh, here we go again," and then it just stops <laughs> instead. Yep, <laughs> just kind of catches you up. But yeah, again, another the other song written entirely by uh, Helid and. Again, much as Nicky Anderson is clearly important to the sound of this band, demonstrates how important Hell It Is as well, uh, because these are some of the best songs on the album, and uh, their later stuff without him, you know, the Entombed AD stuff without him, it's okay, but it's I haven't heard anything from them that has the same kind of impact, and especially the same kind of groove as these tracks have, which is a shame. Well, and it, you cannot say enough about the fact that one of the things that separates a album that stands the test of time from one that doesn't is avoiding that middle album sag. Oh, yeah. So when you have someone, and so the fact that he was the creator of these two songs that really carried the middle of this album is one of the things that elevates it. 
you know, and makes it memorable. Yep. Because when you have songs where you have that skippable, you know, middle or that that sort of middle that that drops on an album, that's one of the things that keeps it from elevating to all time great status. Yeah. Uh, also, actually thinking about Alex's contributions to the band, if anybody has a, a version of the album with the handwritten lyric sheet, he did all of that handwriting. Like, and it's oh. it's not a font. You know, it's like uh, he wrote out. And it, and again, if you you'd have to see it to see what I'm saying, but it's not just somebody's handwriting. Like every letter has been crafted. You know, this is the sort of thing that yep. you look at and think, oh, this probably took you like three days to <laughs> write out the lyrics to this album for the lyric sheet. Uh, and it was all it's literally credit. It says Alex did all the handwriting on uh, <laughs> on the uh, on the in, inlay. <laughs> and yeah, it's really good. The the logo the version of the entombed logo that is on the cover is taken from that, uh, from that lyric sheet, from that handwriting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, right. So track moving on from that, as you say, really strong part of the midsection of the album to track seven blood song. I mean, typo negative all the way, right? Right, right. And not such a strong section. This is, you know, it's one of those things where I love the whole album, but this is probably my least favorite song on it. Uh, not just because, I mean, the subject matter is a little silly, whatever, you know, I don't really care about that. Oh, it's made entirely of cheese, this song. Right, but right. But mu- I kind of dig that about it. But musically as well, for me, it is a little below par. There are nice bits, like the pre-chorus and the post-chorus are both quite nice, but the main verse and the actual chorus, I think, could both be stronger. Um, You know, it's one of those... I mean, like I say, I love the whole album, but if I did have to lose one track off of it, uh, which would take it to nearly only a 30-minute album, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but if I had to... Now we're getting into EP territory. Right, but if I had to, this is the track that I would lose, yeah. Uh, I also got a bit of a White Zombie vibe off of this song, which I kind of dug, too. A little, a little. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, th- but yeah, it, to me, it was a, it was sort of a fun palate cleanser after that four, five, six, which were to me were kind of like the core, the heart of the album. And then this is a bit of a palate cleanser before we head into the last three songs. Well, and the the lyrics. I mean, even though track four is called Demon, you know, but nevertheless, the lyrics of those previous three tracks are also very 
you know, they may have cheese in them, but they are relatively serious. They're a step above. This, this is, I suck your blood in immense everlasting lust. Morning grows, the sun burns me to dust. Yeah, like, it's, it, it's <laughs> not meant to be taken yeah. too seriously. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. No, this, this is like uh, something that a kid would, uh, a high school kid would scribble on the inside of their paper bag cover <laughs> to their textbook <laughs> as they were writing songs for their band that had a gig this weekend. Yes, exactly. And they were going to try out some new material. Well, or, or the band that existed only in their head and as a logo. Exactly. On their exercise totally. book, yeah. <laughs> Which was me. Yeah. I wasn't playing instruments, but I used to write songs for my friends to play who did play instruments. Right, right. I was like, yeah, this sounds awesome. I suck your blood and immense everlasting. I mean, that's forever. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, yeah. But um, yeah, it's, but, but clearly to me, I, kind of tongue in cheek as compared to some of the other lyrics. And so I, yeah. I, I felt like this was kind of meant to be a fun. Oh, it is. Um, it is no question. Sort of yeah, and silly song. As we said, you know, they're clearly fans of horror movies and stuff. And yeah, it's not meant to be taken entirely seriously. And like I say, sure. you know, I don't dislike it. But if I had to sacrifice one track from this album, it would be it would be that one. Um, yep. But uh, a much stronger track for me is track eight, Hollow Man. Yeah, this one, you sort of have that kind of anvil strike opening. Um, uh, to me, I've always taken that to be this, and I don't know this, but I've always taken that to be the sound of somebody hitting um, uh, drain covers in a street. Like to summon the uh, s- summon the, the the creatures of the night up from the depths of the sewers. Okay, all right. I can see that. It, it, but yeah, anvil was probably, to me, it sounded more almost like somebody hitting like a railroad spike sort of oh, thing okay, like it had okay. it had almost like a nail feel to it but um but yeah this song's interesting because i feel like over the course of the song it almost swings upward toward the end it almost gets kind of campy and then it, it kind of alternates between like campy and crushing right there's there's this sort of dynamic in this song that almost like takes a little bit of leftovers from blood song that kind of you know a little bit more campiness but then also pulls in all of the other elements of the album and and also has this sort of crushing side to it. And the cacophonous sort of ending to the song is um, kind of smashes everything together. Yeah, no, I agree. This is, uh, I think this is the only song of the album entirely written by the drummer, by Nicky Anderson, where he wrote the lyrics, only he wrote the lyrics and the music, uh, which is interesting actually, but it kind of, it probably explains why I love how the drums come in on this track at the start yeah. Like two bars before you expect them to, you know, it, you can, can, the first time you hear it can really take you by surprise. Um, and, uh, the, the, actually talking about, uh, typo negative, the bit in the middle eight 
the repeating descending solo with the riffs playing yep. under it. That sounds, that's quite gothic. That's quite gothic metal. Um, and, you know, 93, gothic metal was still kind of in its infancy. So, yeah, interesting that, you know, you'd get something like that coming out of a band like this and written by the drummer, no less. <laughs> right. That sounds... Well, and it, that also makes sense that it's written by the drummer, how the song kind of crashes into the ending. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, as you say, the, the ending is a real kind of build up up to a climax. Um and yeah, just works really well. Incidentally, as well as the profanity uh, on the album, and the line, there was an entire line from this song that was removed on the uh, Marvel version, and that was the line, Jesus, Satan, Hitler bought my soul. <laughs> mm. Can't imagine why. I can't imagine why Marvel <laughs> balked at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to butcher the album like that, at what point do you like, is it really even worth us doing this? <laughs> Right. <laughs> but hey, like you said, got Wolverine in the title. Although, hey, yeah. if you're looking through the lyric sheet, this one jumps out as one you might want to strike if you're Marvel, right? Like it doesn't, you didn't have to read too deep to find right. <laughs> like one that, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, so, but yeah, really good track. Um, and then onto track nine, which is Heaven's Die. this song and what i like about this song is how the riff rolls right into the rhythm yeah like just how it just how it picks up like it's got a great um and it almost gets a little bit proggy for for like a second along the way like again like what i like is that there are songs on this album that sound similar to one another but they're almost never back to back right like uh, like each the way they've structured this album like each each sort of song one after another really well done i think in terms of like how the album plays out as a whole because you're always getting kind of nods to previous songs or things that sound a little bit like one of the songs that you've heard before but it's never right after a song that you would confuse it for yeah you know which i kind of i i dig that yeah i agree and i I, again this is one he didn't write the whole song but uh nicky anderson did write the music for this track um and it's uh yeah the music on this is great it's one of the most musically ambitious tracks i think yeah. on the yeah, whole i think album. so too um and super sludgy though like yeah. you can this is one of the songs you can hear fingers sliding yeah, yeah. clearly on the strings which i really like well that. remember like i said anderson actually has a, a credit for guitar on this album as well yeah. and i have wondered in the past if he plays the main guitar on this uh, on this track 
because that might also explain why, as you say, you can hear every finger slide and and pick noise and what Which, have you. If you're going to create an album that is kind of sludgy and really heavy and like, to me, that is something you really want to capture. Oh, I yeah. love the finger sliding as opposed to something that's like super technical sure, yeah. and very, you know, speedy where you kind of, w- you want it to be almost in some ways like clean, you know, as, as, cause it fits with what you're trying to play here. Like I just, to me, it's just so like sludgy and grimy and I love it. No, it fits. Absolutely. I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing, but Given that he's not, you know, that playing guitar isn't his main thing, it did make me. Oh right, no. it did make me wonder if that's why he played the guitar on this because it's the sort of thing where it might be difficult for the other guitar players to actually to do that deliberately. Do you know what I mean? Like you're asking right. somebody, can you deliberately play sloppily? <laughs> right? Can you? Can you exactly? That might actually be tricky raw. to pull off. <laughs> he's like no nah, you know what just let me do it i'll show right, you exactly so i don't know that's just a theory i have no idea um this track is dedicated to an italian french romantic poet called aloysius oh. bertrand uh he wrote he's most famous for uh, a prose tone piece called gaspar de la nuit which i have not read uh so i have no idea if the line if you know if heavens die is a phrase taken from that or something um but yeah clearly it, he's got a fan in this band not what you'd imagine perhaps but but there you go but it is it's musically it's great and i do love as well i just love the the juxtaposition and it's an obvious one but i love the juxtaposition in the lyrics of please god make heavens die brilliant (laughs) right (laughs) um and it's a really good i think it kind of because you had that really strong mid part of the album you get a fairly because that's the other thing about uh blood song is that it's quite slow in a lot yeah. of places, fairly slow and quiet as well. So you get that dip, uh, you know, a deliberate bit of dip, and then it, things start building up again with Hollow Man, which is a bit faster, and then Heaven's Die, this gets quite fast in places, and then finally you get to the end of the album, uh, and that is, of course, track 10, Out of Hand. Which has a very aggressive opening, and the drums on this song just feel like they're hammered on. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that right. Well, and they even combine the first snare hit with a gunshot in the in the song. Yeah, just like and it works. <laughs> it absolutely works. Yeah, totally. Um, this is my other joint favorite track 
on this album a lot, okay. along with Rotten Soil. Rotten Soil and this song, to me, are the absolute peaks of this album. So, you know, track two and track ten, I think that's pretty good. That is pretty great. To have, like, you know, peaks there right at the start and right at the end. And then, you know, the middle section isn't the peak, but it is very strong, as you said. But I love this song so much. It is fast, it's catchy, it's heavy, it's blasphemous. <laughs> and it's it's just a fucking great song to end this album on. It, it absolutely fulfills that whole make-me-want-to-listen-again criteria um, because it just blows me away. Every, I love it every time. Yeah, great stuff. It is a great ending track that... I think as it should brings you back to wanting to roll right back into the beginning again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this track incidentally is the one that was removed entirely from the Marvel tie-in, uh, which, you know, as we said, can't imagine why, uh, given that the chorus is Jesus Christ, Lord of flies in disguise. Fuck. That's the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> which is such a stupid, like, it's so funny. Oh, I love it. Just dropping an F bomb on the end of that is so, but like, he's like, he's so frustrated right. that he, can, he doesn't, he can't even form another thought. He's like, fuck. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. It's just so funny to me. I like la- the first time I heard that in the song, I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> I, just, I just ran out of words there. Yep. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah. That's great stuff. Yeah. I love it. I, and I love the balls, the, the ending of this song, the end of the entire album, all the music cuts out and it is literally just Lars Graham Petrov shouting fuck at the top of yeah. his lungs. Yeah. Which I mean, great ending for the album, right? Like he's just, he's just completely left it all out there by the time they get to the end of this album. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, exactly. The, the whole, it kind of sums up, everything that i love about this album that they would make yeah. that choice that's how we're going to end the album yes yep i'm sold <laughs> i'm in <laughs> yeah good stuff so yeah good ending track. As, I've, as i've said like this is this is one of my all-time favorite albums i uh can listen to this and do listen to this again and again and again and it never feels old it never gets tired uh i just i absolutely love it unfortunately None of their albums after this do the same thing for me. Uh, yeah. They waited uh, several years uh, after this one before making their next album, which was uh, To Ride, Shoot Straight and Speak the Truth. And it's clearly trying to to make a similar album to this and just falls short. I mean, it's not a bad album by any means. It's, you know, it's a decent album, but it is it falls quite a way short of being the great kind of album for me that this is which is a shame well and it's interesting because when you have sort of a departure album right and that becomes something that then really resonates with a lot of people it's almost like sometimes these departure albums are lightning in a bottle you know and, oh, yeah. and, and it's almost impossible was, yeah. to recreate that again because that's not that wasn't your foundational sound but you stretched into this other area and really nailed it and it's like how do you then recreate that again or fuse the two in a way that you can move forward. So that's why like I have a lot of respect even though a lot of times these get called sellout albums and I'm sure I've called you know albums like that sellout albums or these departure albums but it's such a risk because the reward can be great when you go in a completely different direction or you you can alienate your entire fan base at that point in time and so it's it's not something to be considered lightly when a band moves away from their sort of signature sound. Well, I think it also depends at what stage 
of a band's career they're at because like let's say for example obviously you know the obvious example of this is metallica and the black album metallica were already a enormously successful like one of the most successful heavy metal acts in the world already even before they made the black album that's what allowed them to make the black album was they could afford to spend a year in the fucking studio you know (laughs) and spend an absolute fortune um so I think that's very different to this, where in tune they were a known band, sure, and they'd made two albums, but they were not, uh, you know, selling out stadiums or anything, or even small arenas right. at that point. They were still a small venue club band, and then this album is what put them over the top and made them the the huge band it, that they still are. Again, not knowing in, in tuned well, but it doesn't seem like this was the culmination of their first. Oh no, three, not at all. No. Two, like this was a completely different oh, direction. No, it, which, it was a left uh, field. But you're right in yeah. terms of like the 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 ability of a band to even take that risk because I, I would throw Def Leppard in that category as well. Where by the time Def Leppard made Hysteria, they already had High and Dry and Pyromania, right. and especially yeah. Pyromania for them was huge. Yeah. So they had the luxury, and there was obviously a lot of circumstances that led to that album not coming out quicker than it did, but they could afford to kind of go in whatever direction they wanted to because they were already pretty successful at right. that point. I think, well, uh, yeah, I think the difference in those two examples as well is that obviously Def Leppard decided to stay on that track because it, it just cemented their commercial success even further. Correct. Whereas Metallica tried to double down on it with load and reload and quickly found that things weren't going so well and obviously all the personal issues that they had as well uh going on in the band and you know now they've kind of looped back around obviously and trying to sort of i mean obviously they're not making master of puppets again but albums like death magnetic are much closer to that early sound yeah uh, i would agree with that than an album like load or reload was even though as i've said before i love load but yeah anyway so that brings us to the end of that album um yeah, like I said, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, but anybody out there who has been listening, doing their homework and listening to it and thinks, oh, this is, you know, I'll go and find more stuff by this band. By all means do, but be aware that, you know, for my money anyway, if this, if you really like this album, you may be a little disappointed yeah. by a lot of their other output because this for me was their peak and they've never quite unfortunately matched it since, which is a shame. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm going in with eyes open, but I am going to go back and spend some time with Left Hand Path mm-hmm. because of that Phantasm piece. I'm like, that at least uh, earns my listening to that entire album. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? And seeing what they're doing there. So I'm looking forward to going back and, and checking that out. All right, cool. But overall, I, I really dug this album. It was one that took a while to grow on me because I needed to listen to it long enough to get the separation between those songs. Mm-hmm. But as we just talked about a few songs ago... I feel like once you get into the groove of this album, the way they structured it is it really is it feels like the best combination of these songs in terms of flow that they could have settled on. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Which is probably what elevates it, you know. Yeah. Well, it's certainly it's you know, track listing and track order is an important thing. Super important. You know? Yep. Uh, and I know that there are editions of this album out there with, uh, I don't think that, I'm not sure if they have a different track order or if there's just uh, a cover version tacked on the end after Out of Hand, which, you know, again, to me, because I'm so used to this album, just feels weird. The idea that the album doesn't end on 
Petrov screaming fuck at the top of his lungs uh, would right. just be like, why, why would you do that? Um, but I understand right. that there are some editions of the album out there like that, but I don't think they changed the actual order of the rest of the songs. So uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Let's go through the, the usual uh, spiel. So if you enjoy the show, please spread the word, tell your friends, rate us on iTunes and the Google Play podcast store and anywhere else where you're able to rate podcasts. Um, and if you want to become a patron, a patron and support us directly you can do that at patreon that's patreon.com slash thrash it out if you want to get in touch go to thrash it out podcast.com for links to uh email and twitter for myself and brian and uh of course you can join the facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out all right so lay it on me daddy oh what's our homework for next time i'm excited very, very excited. Let me just read you. I'm just going to read a brief passage that anyone who knows this album will immediately be very excited about. And for at least one of our listeners, this is a, this has been such a long time coming that I hope he screams out loud when he hears this. So, <laughs> okay. so Anthony, it has been written that those who have the youth have the future. So come now, children of the beast, be strong and shout at the devil because we are going to be doing Motley Crue's second album from 1983, Shout at the Devil, for our next episode. I'm so glad you said that and didn't make me guess, because I was thinking Wasp (laughs) with those lyrics. (laughs) Oh, well, well, you might see Wasp a little later on down the road. I'm sure that will come up, yeah. (laughs) We are going to Shout at the Devil, which I am absolutely positive that Phil has been waiting for this album since the first episode of this show. And I have waited this well, so, long so to you. finally bring it out. <laughs> absolutely. I absolutely have. So th- this goes along with my theme of respecting your elders in this uh, in this season, this volume of Thrash It Out. So we are definitely going to be talking about how Motley Crue essentially owned the 80s, putting out five albums that all went multi-platinum. And Shout at the Devil is probably their best remembered one from that time. And I am very excited about revisiting again. So for for all of the hair metal fans that listen to this show, they will be ecstatic. For those that are uh, vehemently opposed to hair metal, this will be a this will be a bitter pill for you to swallow. But I can't <laughs> wait to talk about it. So it's going to be great. Okay, I will I will tell you that apart from any songs that may have been singles, I have never listened to this album. Well, I'm even more excited now. So, and now, yeah. again, I'll be amazed if you come back and tell me how much you love this album, but uh, <laughs> I'm excited for you to listen to it in its entirety if you are not familiar with it, because it is definitely, I think it's Motley Crue's best album. Um, although you could make the case that their first one, uh, Too Fast for Love, was, but it, it is my favorite Motley Crue album for sure. Even I have heard of this album. You know, it's a logical one to choose. Yeah, and you'll hear this in the intro of the album. Uh, the intro of the album, it, it's a longer passage than this, but that is the end of it. So anyone who's familiar with this album immediately, I'm sure, jumped at that one. So so yeah, I'm excited, man. Shout at the devil. All right, so there's your homework. Shout at the devil by Motley Crue, and we'll see you all next time. Keep thrashing. Take care. Rush in!